Good evening. It's good to see everybody. Let's pray, and then we'll read Psalm 133. We'll dive in, and we're going to eat tacos, and it's going to be great. Father, we are so incredibly grateful for this space and this evening. Lord, we pray for cooler temperatures. We ask you to lift our hearts up in joy tonight and allow all that we do to be in service of you and your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. So good. It's good to see everybody. I am so ready. We were just talking about this before, for it not to be blistering hot in September, because I guess it's September now too. We're about to have our one-year anniversary. That's next weekend. So we're going to wrap up our series of the Summer of Hope. We're going to still have hope, even though we're not doing the Summer of Hope series, but we're going to wrap up our series on the Summer of Hope next week. So for those of you who are new, we've been spending the whole summer at the outpost talking about the victory that we have in Jesus, that we don't buy into loser theology and that we know that we are victorious right here and right now. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so we we need to live like that. Uh, what we believe about the end actually dictates how we live right now in the present. And so if you, if you believe it's all doom and gloom, you're going to live with the attitude that it's all doom and gloom. And we are not those people. So we're going to talk tonight. Some more hope. Next week, we're going to have some more hope for our one-year anniversary. I'm going to make brisket, which will be excellent. And then the week after that, we're going to jump back into the Westminster Confession of Faith. And we're going to find a bunch of hope in there as well, because we're a, a confessional church, so we'll continue our study through our confessional documents. So last week, I've been reading a lot. shouldn't surprise you, because I always read a lot. I have never read so much in my whole life. This PhD thing and all the reading, it's, and then all the other reading I do. So this week, I read a ton, and this particular uh, topics I was reading this last week, a lot of them had to do with economics and feminism. Economics, because I'm teaching economics, I'm getting ready for class next week. And feminism, because we listened to some podcasts about feminism and thinking about feminism and its negative effect on our culture, though I did not read a book on economic feminism. I'm sure there probably is one. It probably says men are the reason for high interest rates and inflation. And they're truly oppressing everybody, alas. But, so I was reading a bunch of stuff about these things, then I was listening to some podcasts about these things, and then I was chuckling as I was listening and reading about these things. I was, I was laughing because I was laughing at all of the, uh, the progress, the progress that we have made as a society. But this isn't a happy laugh. This is a sad laugh. It's kind of a, a terrified laugh, if you will. Because we all know about the world that we live in, the greater culture that we live in, clown world. I was just reading a book this week, The Boniface Option, and he calls it Trash World. So clown world or trash world. But, but what it really is is it's feminism world. And it's not working. It's not working economically. It's not working relationally. It's not working sexually. It's imploding. It's self-destructing. It is one of those things that ultimately eats itself. And we're seeing it everywhere. We're seeing it in the breakdown of families. We see it in no-fault divorce. Did you know that 70% of divorces, no-fault divorces, are led by women? So we, we watch this destruction of the American family, and it's all in pursuit of what, right? It's in this pursuit of, well, I'm going to live my best life, let me shine, and, and this lie that's been told of the independent woman. And I sent a podcast out to the men. I can send it out to the women as well. You, you might enjoy it, actually. I think you would. 
I sent it out. It's from the Renaissance of Men. And the guy who has that podcast is pretty interesting. He didn't grow up as a Christian, so kind of like me, he came to faith later in life. And he spent a bunch of time traveling around the East and following all of these different things that were supposed to lead to enlightenment and spirituality and bought into the whole lie for a really long time. And then COVID stand happened and it kind of, you know, peeled the lid back off and scraped some of the fat off. And he's like, maybe I've been lied to. And he ended up coming to what we would call Orthodox Christianity, not Eastern Orthodox, but actual Orthodox Protestant Christianity. And he interviewed this woman who wrote a book called Occult Feminism. It's like a two-hour interview, but it's, it's really worth a listen. If you guys are who are on the Lion's Den group, I, put the, I dropped a link to it there. Now, we read her book. She's got some really wacky views on the Reformation. She's an Eastern Orthodox believer. But her thesis on feminism and its roots are, are just spot on. And it's especially powerful because this is a woman that lived in that world for 40 years. Uh, participated in. I, I read another book recently. Um, it's called The Toxic War on Masculinity. And that woman was a feminist professor. And so there's credibility when people that spent their time and their education and their brain power studying these things and, and bought in hook, line, and sinker come back and say, wait a second, y'all have been lied to. This is actually really destructive and it's really problematic. And so I think that that is kind of nice to hear from that perspective, especially, right? Somebody that lived in the lie and then is coming out and saying, wait a second, no, this is no good. So what she did, she, she highlights in this interview, she talks about the lie that feminism has told the world and the lie that the world has believed. And the, the beginning of that lie is that you don't need no man. That is the lie. It's just whatever you want, do whatever you want. Actually, you're actually oppressed. If you want to be in a relationship and, and maybe you, like a mother... And, and yeah, a wife, like that is actual oppression and that's holding you back from all these things that you could be doing if you didn't go down this terrible path of marriage. Because how would you ever pursue your career if you have a man? So she had these funnies in there. These are like the sad funnies again. But she has these sad funnies in there. And my, my favorite was that she was telling the story about women who talk about how they don't need a man. So right, so they're married and they've come to this conclusion that they no longer need a man. That their life's going to be so much better without the man. So you can divorce him and find yourself and it's really encouraged and you can get your independence. So what do they do? They, they leave their husband. They take half of his things, half of the wealth, and then they run around talking about how they're an independent woman while the alimony check is still coming in every single month. Independence! Progress! I mean, it's independence funded by somebody else. I am woman, hear me roar! With somebody else's stuff progress like it's really ironic and it's actually really sad but here's what the irony that really struck me on thursday was holden's got drums and when he goes to drums if i drive him i'll go next door there's a fa place next door and the guy that runs it's really nice and i've been going there for like two years and you know buy a beer and buy some wontons and shoot the breeze so i'm doing that and like the 70 inch tv behind the bar is on and it's like i don't even know one of the, it's one of the terrible 24-hour news cycle channels that's rotting people's brains away and it has no actual real information on it, but a lot of B-roll. You guys know what B-roll is, right? It's like the filler roll. Like when people are talking, they need like just filler images and stock video. And there, there are companies that that's all they do is they film stock video so that other companies and productions can use it. So they're, they're talking about, I don't even know what they're really talking about. Like it was laws or unfairness or whatever. So, but on the corner, it's like B-roll picture of this, this woman in a cubicle and she's got like all of her tchotchkes and pictures of her kids and all this stuff hanging out, typically at the computer. And then it's 
next b-roll image and it's another woman also looking just about as bored and unhappy in her cubicle with the little walls and like a couple tchotchkes and pictures of her kids right and, and they're celebrating their independent feminism in a cubicle following their dreams working for another man at another corporation who dictates when they can take days off like don't you see the irony like it's kind of ridiculous right it's it's <laughs> this is the lie this is the lie that that and even say men we have bought into about the lie of the of, of work we're going to talk about work at some point work created before the fall that's important so, so there, there's goodness in, in work but the lie of like being defined by work especially for folks in our business where i know a lot of you guys from where, where that can become kind of an identifying thing right but but this lie is like well you could go pursue your career you got to be this independent independent woman independent from your husband or boyfriend or whatever and you gotta get this big job and then you need to go work in a cubicle as a slave for a company for probably a man who's going to dictate what you can do with your life all while you're saying i'm not going to listen to that man at home and you can nail up your psychology degree that you got on the wall and now you're just part of the big industrialized machine progress i mean what people don't realize is everybody benefits except the family when you send everyone to work, right? The, the, the income tax system benefits, the daycare system benefits. There's all these things that benefit by trying to keep everybody as far away from the home as humanly possible. And that's progress. So we, we treat as progress. And what it's done is it's actually perverted the relationships between men and women. It's perverted authority structures and it's destroyed the family in favor of, of, independence versus community and I participated in this so I have like first-hand experience in all of this prior to being a Christian and I really believe that this is actually the root of so many of the issues that we face in clown world and it's not really new so after laughing at all this progress of freeing women what was obviously oppression right in the home and now we can move them to be oppressed by a large corporation where they can ask a man for a day off in a cubicle I decided since we're in the summer of hope, we can't talk about hopelessness. We need to find the hope. So where's the hope? Well, I do believe that there is hope outside of the dumpster fire that feminism has brought. We'll talk about um, the difference between feminism and femininity at the end. But I believe that the hope lies in the patriarchy. And I think that the hope in restoring the world from clown world lies directly in the patriarchy. And we should probably add this to the list of top unpopular things I said culturally this year. But it's true. Sometimes the truest things are the most culturally unpopular. And it's funny because you can see how this deception works. Because everybody knows that this is the right way. Everybody. Acknowledge it. But then we, we act as if it's not the case. We do this in so many different places, right? Like we, we know things to be true and then in other places we act like they're not true. Like we know what's more celebrated. You were just talking today about the sports. Do you like watching the winning team or the losing team? Yeah, of course. You want to watch the winning team, right? What has a higher standing? The, the person who came in first place academically or me, the guy that came in last place in high school academically, right? It's the person that comes in first place. We all know that order matters in life. We know that. Like, fundamentally, we know that there are orders to things and that order matters. Uh, the pilots, you know that there are certain orders to switches. And if you do them in the wrong order, things don't work right. Sometimes things can work catastrophically wrong, <laughs> right? Order matters. 
an A plus is gonna be better than a D minus. First is better than last. And actually everybody intrinsically, if you ain't first, you're last. That's, I knew that's what you were thinking. <laughs> if you ain't first, you're last. Ricky Bobby's dad was right. Ricky Bobby was right. The spirituality of Ricky Bobby. It's a whole different thing. But we know intrinsically that authority structures exist because they have to exist. What happens if we don't have authority structures? Like where, where do we live if we don't have authority structures? It's anarchy. It's the purge, right? Which is actually kind of where we are at right now. <laughs> it's like every night in Denver, it's kind of the purge. Every night in Chicago, say, you, you just steal stuff from stores. Nobody's going to do anything about it, right? I watched this video. It was on Not The Bee yesterday, day before. This huge group of teens, cartloads full of Milwaukee power tools, pushing them right out the front door of Home Depot. Nobody's going to do anything about it. They're not. I just saw in a news article yesterday, there was a, do you remember what, where I said that hat? Was it Michigan? That police department? There's a police department that the school district has said that no school employees may use any physical force to restrain students, including school resource officers. And every police department in that, uh, that city or state pulled out and said, no, hard pass. You are literally limiting us from being able to do our job. That's anarchy. That's actually anarchy, right? I was at Murdoch's up in Broomfield. We had to get Ricky some hay. He was getting a little bit mad. So I needed like a, like one, what would you call it? A bale of hay to hold us over. And I walked in, like it was somber when I walked in. Murdoch's is like Disneyland for me. It has all the things that I like. It's got outdoorsy things and animal things and guns, tools as tools, really expensive shorts I'm not gonna buy from cool. And I was like, what's going on? She's like, oh, we just got robbed. Same deal. Two people push a whole bunch of carts full of whatever, tools or whatever. And I said, this is like a store where you have guns in the store. Oh, yeah, no, we have a, a non-engagement policy. with Right. Yeah, that's a face that I made to the poor lady behind, behind the counter, right? So nobody wants to do anything because you have all these manufactured problems, all these manufactured interest groups, which actually, like, when you have manufactured racism, it takes away from real racism. That's, like, we, racism exists. Nobody's denying that. Systematic racism does not exist. But when we make everything racist and we don't engage because we're so worried and every, then now we end up in clown world and there's no accountability and there's no authority structure, right? It, it breaks down the authority structure. <laughs> something has to come before something else. That's the way this works. Authority structures have to exist. And I think if everybody is being intellectually honest, everybody knows that the patriarchy is the appropriate and authoritative way. We expect different things from dad than we expect from mom doesn't make dad and mom less equal than each other. We have different expectations from dad than we have from mom. But you can see that the world, and, and I'll use the term Satan, working through the pagan world, wouldn't want authority structures to exist because it pushes against the grain of this kind of hyper-individualistic world that, that we live in, right? But we see the results of this. We see the results of people that push against normal and true authority structures, right? When there's no authority and there's no accountability, people do whatever the hell they want to do. And they don't actually care, especially if you think you can get away with it. I mean, a handful of us are of mature adult age. Can you imagine if we thought there were absolutely no consequences when we were younger? Right. It's insane. Think about, think about this if you were in a broken home now, nobody's your authority structure at school. Nobody's your authority structure at home. You have no religious authority structure. And there's really no major consequence for anything. 
It's not good. But then what it also causes is people that know that there should be authority structures will turn their back because they don't think there's anything they can actually do about it anyways. It's like the Murdoch's people. I, I, I believe in my heart those people there know right from wrong. I would believe in that in my heart. Probably most of those people have kids that are older than those, those kids' age are like, no. You're going to spank your butt. It's because nobody did spank their butt. Right. Well, that's right. I mean, we, we've seen this. I think this I'm also hopeful. It's a really good point about the silent majority. We see this in the way that people have been acting in the last handful of months. It's really good. We have to continue to stand firm. We have to fight against this anarchy, right? And I do actually believe that feminism, that the, the enlightenment, is at the root of these things. Patriarchy becomes the solution. But before we talk about why, let's talk about what it is. What does that word mean? This very scary word in 2023. Patriarch. You ever heard the word patriotism? Patriot. Same root word. Comes from a Greek word. Means father rule. Patriotism, fatherland. You can't say that word either. I've now said two. <laughs> two on it's good. The algorithm is going to kick the podcast out now. <laughs> I wasn't on a list before. We all know I'm on a list. But now look at what happens if you go if you go to dictionary.com. Dictionary.com, twist the definition, says a system of society or government in which men hold the power and women are largely excluded from it. Nothing is further from the truth. Nothing is further from the truth. I don't think I, I, don't think I put it in here, but if I did and I repeat it, I'm sorry. But this class that I'm taking right now on Old Testament backgrounds was going through and looking at the archaeological evidence of how households operated in the Old Testament. So we're talking a couple thousand years before Christ. And do you know how, who had the greatest influence? It was the women. And here's why. This is incredible. Because households had to come together and they would, this is also like Egypt and it's hot. So houses didn't want one oven in each house because when, when it's like 115 degrees outside, no one's like, you know what sounds like a really good idea? You should light that oven up so we can make some bread. So they build communal ovens and the women, because things took so much longer, right? If you had to thresh, do things on the threshing floor, grind things, I don't know, right? These, these were really manual intensive. So you would bring groups of people together and they would work together because it makes the work go by faster and they would socialize, right? Build community, share a common oven. Well, here's what's really beautiful about women is that the, because people didn't geographically move then like we geographically move, but the women did because they would go where their husband was. So now what you have is you have women that have moved from other towns and other communities that come together that are now sharing information, and it's the first long-distance network. And so you have women, and we're going to see how God designed it this way, right, who have the ear of the most powerful men and are directing and weaving the direction they should go because they have more insight than the men do because they're more connected. But it's, it's because they're working together. So, like, this, to dispel this notion, it was like, it was just oppression. It's been oppression for thousands and thousands of years, and th thank God, all this freedom to work in a cubicle. Now here we are in 2023, we have been freed of this. It, it, it's a lie, and it's, it's like a systematic lie that, that destroys women's actual, like, the, the beauty of the work that women do. Because women can do things, you all know that, right? Like, they're all really smart and incredible, and like, we literally couldn't do it without them. You know, all kinds of cool things. It's incredible. Wow, what would they think of next? But it, it, it's the unification of doing it together for, for, for building as one. So let's look at what this means. Because if you look historically within, within the religious communities, women are always the most revered. Mostly it centers around the fact that they're life creators. We're going to get to that too. But I will say it's because God designed it this way. So 
has to be thought about in this household economy. Let's go back to the beginning. Genesis 1, 26 through 27. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So there's an order there. We discussed order is important. There's an order in Hebrew. He made male, then female. You want to hold on to that. You also might want to hold on to they just made male and female. There's no Z's or people having a Z's or whatever the thing is. Now let's skip ahead to Genesis 2, 5 through 8. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, and it was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and he put man whom he formed. So now we, we see why man was created. He was created to, to have dominion and to care for and to keep and protect, to work the ground. He was given specific things that he was called to do. There was no one, no creature to take dominion of God's creation. So God creates man in his image and likeness to go, there's a bee. Knows I want to take their honey tomorrow. Was that a wasp? Remember what God creates, bees, Satan mimics wasps. So there was no one there to, to take dominion of this creation, so God creates man to work it. And he puts him in a garden, something to beautify and, and to grow, right? 2.15, Genesis 2.15, The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. So work, remember we talked earlier, work was created before the fall. There's goodness in work. And to keep it. But this idea of keeping means protecting. Man, from the very beginning beginning was created to be a warrior to protect God's garden but there's this thing in verse 18 that modern day feminists don't see and because if they saw it they wouldn't like it verse 18 says then the Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone I will make a helper fit for him it's not good that man should be alone so I will make a helper for him that will stand around and look pretty and bat her eyelashes and do nothing productive that's not what it says <laughs> So dumb. The 50s really messed a bunch of stuff up. I'll make a helper fit for him. An aid. The help meet. So, so first that he won't be lonely. And because he can't actually do it alone. He's going to be lonely. And he can't do it alone. He needs his succor. He needs his partner in crime. Men need women. They need an aid. And, and here's the irony. Like another irony that I thought about. How many like super strong feminist women would be proud to be the aide to like a really powerful man. Like chief of staff to the president, a CEO, somebody super famous, and yet would never want to actually help their husband out. Like, ah, progress. I'm defined by these other people in the world. Ha ha. Well, right. Yep. That's right. That's exactly right. So down with the patriarchy, obviously, up with corporate oppression. It's a way better way to go. Freedom, progress. But here's what I think is really beautiful. Look at how Adam describes woman. Look how Adam describes Eve. He says in 223, he says, the man said, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Flesh of my flesh. Like when Hebrew repeats these things, 
bone of my bone, flesh of my. It is. It is to 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 show you the, the like the deep importance. Flesh of my flesh. Verse twenty four. Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The flesh of his flesh. They become one flesh. They're they're, they're actually complete when they're together. It's really beautiful. Like Adam is is praising this bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Ha! Thank you, God, for creating woman who I may now oppress. <laughs> Make me a sandwich. <laughs> it's ridiculous. They are, they are complete and they are together. And see, that's actually the foundation that we have to start from when we think about why the patriarchy is so important. Because men and women are built to be together as one flesh. Man actually adores woman because she was created for him. Man adores woman because she was created f- for him. She's the flesh of his flesh, his aid, his helpmeet. She is literally the most important person to him next to God. Like, think about that. Because the relationship, the relationship is a representation of godliness, or it should be. It's the patriarchy. This is father rule. It's male rule. It's, it's rule that actually acknowledges that it can't be done alone. That it requires two. That it requires a household. First, requires God, submission to God. The man must submit to God. And then second, he has to do it with his wife. She submits to him. And what is he called to do? He's called to protect her and to provide for her. If you guys remember when we watched Eve in Exile, Rebecca Merkel's video, she talked a lot about the comment that, that if man is the glory of God and woman is the glory of man, then what that makes woman is the glory of the glory of God. She is the crown that sits upon the crown. She is the most beautiful, stunning of the creatures. That's why, no matter what anybody says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Men will never be as beautiful as women. I know. Not even close. Not even close. And we all know this. We actually know this. Women radiate beauty, femininity, in a different way than men radiate strength. Women are fertile and they're life creators. I mean, think about that from an image of God standpoint. It's really incredible. Life creators and image bearers. And what's really amazing when you think about it, when you start embracing the fact that men and women are different and that's great, that doesn't make them less equal. So, it's so, so cool. The hummingbirds are really cool. Um, It is so incredible to watch how in just a short hundred years, we've flipped things on their heads and we've, we've flipped these roles on their heads and then things fall apart and people are like, I just don't know why it's all falling apart. But then the solution is so simple. You, you look at it and you, you recognize that men and women are created differently and that's beautiful and that's incredible and that we work together that way on purpose. And when we do things in alignment with God's plan, everything actually works out really well. And when not, you get this post-enlightenment disaster that we're in. When you get rid of the father and the father rule, everything kind of falls apart. And the reality is God designed men to rule. We know that. That doesn't mean women aren't making decisions and leaving. You guys have been in our house. <laughs> Somewhere in here I was supposed to ask you if you felt oppressed. Do you feel oppressed today? I'll ask you again later. I knew, I knew you would. Like, it's... <laughs> but the, their authority structures do exist. I mean, that's why... We don't want to send women into battle on the front lines as life creators, right? In dirty male wars. 
they, they, they aren't, um, we aren't supposed to kill the people who generate life. Now, there's always retorts. What about so-and-so? What about so-and-so? What about Xena the Warrior Princess? There are exceptions, of course. But that doesn't change the way that God has laid out. There, there are worldly exceptions, not godly exceptions. It doesn't change the way that God has organized his creation. I mean, we watched the MMA thing here a few weeks ago. Whenever I don't remember who, which of you guys were here. None of us want to watch Foxy Boxing. Nobody wants to watch women punch each other in the face. And if you have guys in your group, they're like, yeah, let's do that. That's messed up. And we all literally left during the Foxy Boxing, right? But then when the guys are coming back for face punching, we're like, yeah, this is super cool. Like, it's all right if the guys punch each other in the face. And I love it kind of when they do, to be honest. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Everybody knows what the, word, the phrase act like men means, right? And we all actually know that we really need men to act like men, don't we? <laughs> Would you say your generation is so much closer to this mess? Are there a lot of men acting like men? I don't think there's a lot of men acting like men. And so what happened is, is because this post-alignment feminist world has labeled masculinity as toxic, the pendulum, 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 wow, that's not even a real word. The pendulum, this is why I couldn't be a politician. This and so many reasons. Because I'd say that and then it would be like a desk calendar. Pendulum, Craig made up a new word. <laughs> the pendulum swings to extremes on both sides. So right, you get, you get the beta males on one side who, who literally apologize for their very existence. I'm so sorry, sorry. Did I get, did, were any of my aggressions micro or macro or I don't even know? I need a tampon. <laughs> they go back and do their stay-at-home dad job and everything's fine. So you have that. And then you have the other side of this, which is like this hyper red-pilled Andrew Tate, like insanity. Like I didn't even, been off social media for years. Sometimes you guys send me this crap and I'm like, wow. Get your kids off the internet. But right, this like, sleep with as many girls as you can. Get a vasectomy in your 20s. I did that. I regret it every day. It's body mutilation. I am so sad that I had a vasectomy. Like, legitimately. It's really upsetting, right? So tell these 20-year-old boys, go do this. Have sex with as many women as you can. The, the player game. It's ridiculous. But both of these are toxic. We know this. Neither of those are actual patriarchy. N not even close. Now, the problem is, the greater world labels this Andrew Tate red-pilled insanity as the patriarchy, and then it gets laid, which it's not, and then it gets immediately identified with toxicity, which it is. And so the connection culturally is that's what they think that people like us believe, and it's not. Because what does it really mean to be a man? What well, means you're a protector and a provider. Look what Paul says in Ephesians 5:25 through 32. He says, husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are a member of his bodies members of his body, sorry. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That's what it means to be a man. It means to be a patriarch. It means you love your wife as Christ loves the church, or if you're not married, you envision 
The goal is to love your wife in the manner that Christ loves the church, which means you lead her with love. You support her with love. You prop her up with love. You encourage her with love. I'm going to get to her economy here in Proverbs 31 in a minute. You rejoice in her economy in love. But this is different than like rolling over and pretending like women don't sin, which big evangelical churches have decided like that's also a big thing. Like, evil toxic men! Oh my gosh, the beautiful flower and the perfect women who never sin. Lies! Shenanigans. Fact, women sin. Adam failed to lead in the garden and Eve sinned. It's a fact. Adam failed to lead well and Eve sinned. And they're both responsible, right? Because there's accountability. It's mutual accountability. So men, you are to love your wife as your own body. So what part of that statement says you get to be an oppressive jerk and demand a sandwich? None of it, right? That's not loving your wife with your own body. Paul, Paul even says, who hates his own body? We're all selfish about taking care of things, right? That's the, the sacrificial love we are to love our wives with. You have responsibilities as a head. And, and, and with that comes this incredible responsibility. You set the tone. I've, I've said this a million times here and in the men's group. The thing that Kristen said to me that bothered me the most was she's like, you set the tone for the home. And I was like, no. And she's like, yes. I was like, no, you're the wife. She's like, literally, if you come in and dad's in a bad mood, that sets the tone for our home. It's true. It's true. You set the tone. You set the joy. You're a warrior for God. You're a protector of the garden. You protect your family. You protect your wife. You're to love her as Christ loved the church sacrificially. Because you're one flesh and nobody hates their flesh. So that's why, why would you fight with the person that you love the most? You're one flesh. You love each other. Because you're supposed to leave your parents. Like the, the, we've really lost like, this really deep meaning of family. You, you left your parents to go build another family. You didn't like, leave your parents to find yourself for 15 years and then come back. I wish I would have known all this when I was this big, right? Like I figured all this out. In my 30s. But there's, some few, there's a few more verses. Now we're going to go back. I'm going to go back to verses 22 through 24. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. So guess what, ladies? If you claim to be Christian, and you claim to believe in Jesus, then you are to believe and love the patriarchy. You are to submit to your husband. He is your head. Christ is the head of the church, which makes the husband the head of the house, so you submit to him in everything. That's another thing you can't say at all in 2023. But it is the Christian position, it is the biblical position, it's God's position. But the beauty of it is, when you get like out of the, the way the cultural context has, has bastardized and manipulated it to fit in a box that it doesn't really fit into, is that it's really beautiful when you, you look at the love, submission, and the respect of the, of, of the Christian marriage. Because order matters, right? Wives submitting to husbands comes before the role for husbands in Paul's letter. He tells wives to submit, and then he tells husbands what their duty is. And this is what we were talking about before when I came outside. What's really incredible about this is it gives all the authority to the women. Because the woman picks who she's going to submit to. She picks who her head will be. She picks who she respects and who will love her. This is th these are things to be, to be figured out at the beginning, right? This empowers women. Think about how, how the, the, the courting, dating is supposed to go. It's not supposed to be the woman like running after the man. Ah! 
actually terrifying. The man's running faster. He's come back here. I love you so much. I will find you. <laughs> no, it, it, it's supposed to be the man pursues the woman. And he, it's like the bird. And he peacocks around a little bit and he shows his feathers. and <laughs> Right? And the woman then gets to pick all these peacocking men that are all vying for her attention. That's the one I respect. That's the one who loves me. That's the one who will protect me. That's the one who will support me. That's the one who will prop me up. That's the one who will hold me accountable. That's the one who I will build a household with. Because, because when this works out like this, this is what's really cool. Everything's better. So, so God told us to do this, which is a reason enough. But there's all these beautiful secondary benefits to doing it. Like societies function better. People stick around. Because husbands and wives create households. Christian husbands and wives do it based on love and respect. They do it based on love and respect. It's a sacrificial love that Christ has for his church. This isn't like just pushover. I'll give you whatever you want. This isn't manipulative, right? This is, this is like the actual definition of teamwork is one flesh. It is being united so that decisions are made together for, for, for the unity of the household. It's joyful. It's feasting. It's love that actually fights. It fights for things. Was it, um, was it Chesterton said that a soldier, a true soldier fights for what's behind him, not what's ahead of him, for protecting the things that you care about? This is a love that, that hates evil and loves righteousness. And it's one where the wife respects the husband and the husband loves the wife. And for the men, the responsibility on, on all of you is so, so great. Like it really is. Like it's incredibly great. Men need respect. Women need love. It doesn't mean men don't need to be loved, but in general, men need respect and women need love. 533 Ephesians. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Men need respect. Women need to be loved. This is the model of the household. This is the model of the patriarchy. It's not Craig and Kristen anymore. We are the thighs. I said that at the last wedding that I, I did, is that when you join together in this in marriage, in the covenant of marriage, that, that you become something new. You become one flesh and you become a new identity. We are the thigh family. We are the thighs. We're a household. And actually, that's, that, is, that is in direct attack. It's a terror against the feminist, globalist, individualist world because households are, are, are just that. They are a household. They are strong. They, they, Christian households know that their freedom comes only from Christ and not from tyrants. Not from a person that says you can or can't have next Friday off, right? That your actual freedom comes from Jesus. And that's what lets Christian marriages and Christian households led by a patriarch stand firm in their faith and not waver, right? You, 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 you see big companies and big government, they don't want this. They, they want a bunch of individuals that are way easier to control. If you think about, like, this is a crazy thing. Uh, two companies ago I worked for, you know, they were kind of bougie, so they offered all the stuff. All the meals were provided, all the workouts provided, there's daycare in the building. They basically built it so that they could make you a slave and that you would spend a majority of your waking hours in their building. Like, it's crazy. And I bought into this lie for a really long time. And you get a bunch of logo merchandise, and then you're identified by the brand. I just listened to a podcast by Aaron Wren this week about... You should look at some of the employment contracts that all these big companies 
some of them that I worked for have like with personal use of your information and your likeness and all the things that they can do. It's, it, it's kind of nutty. But they don't want households. They want rampant individualism because a household prior, prioritizes God above the job, right? Which actually is way better for the employer because it means that they're going to come and bring their good values to the job that they do. But alas, individuals are way easier to control and to make of slaves. Households are strong and bound together. Multi-generational households. That's why it's great. Going to go spend time with family every week is really important, even if they drive us crazy sometimes. It is but because we become stronger, right? But when we care for each other and we bond together, that's households. And Christian households are, are, are rooted in the foundation of Christ. They're threatening to the Herods of the world. That's a teaser for tomorrow's sermon. Because a household that bends the knee to Jesus recognizes that all true authority comes from God. I think this is why the outward mark of a true patriarchal home will be joy. Because a patriarch is a joyful warrior. We are actually called to be in joy. Like that is the mark and sign of a Christian, is we are to be joyful people. So a father-ruled home, a patriarchal home, is one that would be built around joy. A patriarch that leads with joy. How can joy be oppressive? I mean, if it's my joyful noise singing, that could feel oppressive after, after a while. I mean, that's, it goes without saying. But make joyful noise to the Lord. But it's, it's actually the opposite, right? It's not oppressive. A joyful, a joyful home is a productive and engaging. It's a connecting. It's an encouraging place. Kristen's got an idea she'll share with some of you tonight, I hope, about some things we'd like to do with the outpost and the nonprofit. And it's so cool. And I'm so excited to stand behind her and like be the biggest cheerleader for this. Volleyball was all her idea. It's brilliant. It's, I think it's the best idea for the church this year. It really is. It's been connecting with you guys. I'm so grateful. It's connected our communities, our churches. We have a blast, right? It, it, we work together as a team and then we do these things in joy. See, like, a patriarchal home, a godly home, is this microcosm of the temple. It's, it is a, represent, a representation of how Christ loves the church so that you can, when you walk in the door, you should be able to taste and feel it. And you guys have seen all of us here in some rough times. Like, we've, we've all done, like, a bunch of real life together over the last handful of years. All of us have had hard times with each other. You haven't yet, but you might. If you keep, well, you will if you stick around. <laughs> you just get to do it with us. We do it with joy. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. But this can only take place if it's being led by godly patriarchs. I know we're going a little long, but hang tight. So if you don't believe me, here's what I want you to do. This week, when you're out in the world, look at the feminists. You'll be able to see them. Even if they're the ones that don't even know they're feminists, but you know what I mean. They're devoid of femininity. They don't have femininity. That they're going to be standing very firm against their male oppressors and the oppressive patriarchy and all these bad things and don't be a slave to the men and the while they work for big government or big pharma or big corporations or whatever. But what I want you to look for is joy. I want you to see if there is outward expressions of joy and I don't think you will find it. You might find temporary happiness, but I do not believe you will find joy because you can only find joy in Jesus and you can't be a feminist if you're in Jesus. Because look at what, look at what, the Bible says about the enterprising woman. This is great. I'm going to read Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She's productive. 
She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax, and she works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings food from afar. She rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She has maidens, too. She considers a field and buys it. They let women buy stuff, too. It's incredible. And with the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at all at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known at the gates. When he sits among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. That's a badass woman. That is, that is the kind of woman that is encouraged within the loving, patriarchal, Christian, godly marriage. It's incredible. These things working together is incredible. She is an excellent woman. She is a strong woman. She is an enterprising woman. She's a godly woman, a woman in submission, who's building her enterprise, who's, who's clothing her family in scarlet and fine things, and not in worry and not idle, and providing and working and building all here, supporting the household. Like this, this idea always has to come back to how we, we think about our households. Sometimes you have to, to leave the front door to go you know, do work thingies, but it's always to come back to the household. It's not to make something else your household. The help meet. No slouch. I put in here, no oppressed kitchen wife. She's the crown of the crown of the glory of God. Beautiful and radiant in her femininity and led by a godly patriarch. This is how economies get built. This is how households get built. This is how lives are lived joyfully for the Lord. And so men, let us be the, the patriarchs that God has called us to be. Amen? We're going to go sing, and then we are going to feast. God bless you. And then we'll feast some more. Let's do it.